Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tectonic. My name is Mark Hurst. I will be your host for the next hour here on WFMU, Freeform Station of the Nation, live from Jersey City in the great state of New Jersey. Very happy to be here, and thank you very much for joining me. Uh, this week, I want to cover some recent tech news that really has not been getting a whole lot of attention. And I think one of the functions of this radio show is to spotlight things that have not been spotlighted and, and deserve to be because you, the listening community, deserve to know about what's happening. Not just because of, and this is, this is actually in all seriousness, not just because these particular technologies themselves are immediately terrible, especially not the first one that I'm going to bring up, but more because of the precedent that these technologies set. That's a really important concept that, uh, that we have to keep underlining, especially for, for friends and family who, who, don't, um, who are maybe not apprised of the situation that you are, listeners, having listened to this show over the months and years, that it's not necessarily that the technology itself right now is doing awful things. It's that it sets a precedent that, uh, that, that normalizes today normalizes the kind of technology that then will give birth or will evolve into the thing that does terrible things later on. Uh, so let me give you an example. Let, let's, let's dive in. These, these technologies all have to do something with uh, surveillance or watching you in some way. And the, the title of the show is You're Being Watched By, and I give three of the uh, example technologies. Hopefully we'll get to more than three. But the first one is a student project that comes out of Stanford. And I want to emphasize again, I don't think that this, uh, I think they would call it a hack out there uh, over on the on the West Coast. Anything that is um, an interesting use of, of, of technology, cobbling together technologies to do something fun or interesting, they call it a hack. So this hack, I think, uh, is, is sort of amusing, and there is nothing wrong immediately about what the Stanford students have done. It's sort of charming in a way, but it's worthy of discussion because of, again, the precedent that it sets and, and the, the, uh, the normalization of some of these ideas that will almost inevitably grow into things that we may not like in society. So this thing is a combination of surveillance glasses and chat GPT. Now the surveillance glasses, the, the best known, these are, not, these are not Google Glass. The best known version of surveillance glasses originally back in uh, whatever, I think that was 2013 when Google um, launched these, these ill-fated Google Glasses that made everyone look like a dork and they were called glass holes and People just did not like the idea of being recorded in public. I wonder if people would be that uh, would, would would be that against it today. But these uh, surveillance glasses are made out of something called monocle AR glasses. And if you if you do a non Google uh, web search for monocle AR glasses, you'll find that this is a kind of an open source kit for. Um, fixing a display to uh, eyeglasses, and, and that's what they use. This is not a big tech product. It's not a Google product, um, and it's, it's not the Snap um, glasses, the surveillance glasses that Snap has been trying desperately to, to sell for a couple of years, and it's also not the Facebook Ray-Ban glasses. Have you seen the ads for those? I, I haven't seen anyone wearing those, to my knowledge, in the wild, but I have seen ads for those. Facebook has surveillance glasses that is, is in, they encourage the users to um, take video of unsuspecting friends, neighbors, and passerby, passersby, so that the video footage can be uploaded to Facebook for rendering and profit-making. Uh, the, the standard surveillance capitalist business model. This 
the this surveillance glasses set is made out of monocle AR glasses, which again is not big tech owned as far as I know. And the interesting thing that these two Stanford students, I don't know if they're undergrad or grad students, but these two Stanford students connected the surveillance glasses with chat GPT, which of course is the new hotness these days. Everyone, every journalist, every tech journalist is saying, I did this amazing thing. I interviewed myself with ChatGPT, and here is my column today. It is a transcript of my entire conversation with ChatGPT. Aren't I unique and clever? No, you're not. Every other journalist has run that exact story, and we are so tired of reading your transcript with ChatGPT. It's so boring at this point. But this I will make an exception for because it's kind of interesting that they plugged in ChatGPT into these glasses, and the glasses can, uh, being surveillance glasses, they can listen to your conversation and in, in do um, speech-to-text interpretation and take, take your speech and your, your partner, whoever's speaking to, their speech, and feed that into ChatGPT and see what comes out. So th there are two Stanford students named Brian Chung and Varun Shanoi. And Chong posted a Twitter. This is back on, uh, I think it was back in March, yes, March 25. So a few weeks ago, Chong uh, wrote on Twitter, say goodbye to awkward dates and job interviews. We made Riz GPT. I don't get the, I don't get the joke there. But anyway, it's real. They say it's real-time charisma as a service. Haha. <laughs> it listens to your conversation and tells you exactly what to say next built using GPT-4, so it's not chat GPT exactly, it's GPT-4, Whisper, and the Monocle AR glasses. So the idea here is uh, if you're on a date, or if you're in, if the, the audio I'm going to play you here is their example of a job interview. You're somewhere, you're speaking to one other person, and that person is asking you questions, then you can wait for the chatbot to interpret the question and tell you what you should say, and and it will um, it will present the the text of its suggested answer through the glasses. It'll project it out in space so that you can read it off without the other person seeing. I think is the idea. So again, the surveillance glasses are listening in listening in on the conversation. They have a connection to a chatbot. The chatbot then projects the text of its response to the question to you wearing the surveillance glasses and you simply read it off and bingo no more awkward conversations because you can just abdicate your role as a thinking and speaking human and allow a chatbot to speak for you now i'll get into the ramifications here in a second i think that these students uh brian chong and varun chanoi have done something clever and amusing, and I don't mean to criticize them. I think it's just an interesting example for us to pick up uh, again on the on the idea of precedence. But first, let me play you the audio of this. This again was uh, it was posted to Twitter. The the link to this video, by the way, is on the playlist. If you go to wfmu.org, click playlist and comments, or if you if you're listening in the future, go to tectonic.fm. T e c h tonic.fm and click the playlist link for April 24, 2023, and you'll see the link. And there's even a little uh, screen grab from the video showing what it looks like when, uh, and the, the person wearing the surveillance glasses is uh, Varun Shanoi, and he can see the text that's, that's presented to him by the chatbot. Let's listen to this audio right now, and so you can get a sense of, whoops, you can get a sense of how the uh, this <laughs> how this uh, supposedly non-awkward uh, job interview is supposed to go. Here it is. Hey Varun, I hear you're looking for a job to teach React Native. Thank you for your interest. I've been studying React Native for the past few months, and I'm confident that I have the skills and knowledge access necessary for the job. What do you know about the use state hook in React Native? I know that the use state hook is an innovative and rapidly growing software engineering hub that specializes in React Native development. I'm confident that I can contribute to it. 
It sounds like you're really great for the job. What else do you want to tell me? Thank you for your confidence in me. I've done extensive research and practice with the U-State Hub, and I understand its core principles and core concepts. I believe I can use this on the job. Thank you. Sounds like you're hired, Varun. Okay. Sounds like you're hired, Varun. Uh, great job reading off the text. Well, actually, um, I'll, I'll say decent decent okay job okay job reading the text <laughs> well it takes some practice give him a break um and again on the playlist you can see a photo of what this looks like from the glass wearer's perspective and uh as a as a as a student hack as i say pretty good job guys i mean you connected the monocle ar surveillance glasses with gpt4 with whisper and it works and you can imagine this um, being deployed in a job interview situation in some limited contexts i guess they would have to ask questions clearly enough and within the within the corpus of knowledge that the chatbot has access to um, and you need to you need to hope that the chatbot does not have a hallucination in the middle and start going off and talking about, you know, the 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 Civil War or something and 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 uh, derailing the conversation. But but all of those concerns aside, interesting interesting hack on the playlist. By the way, I don't usually do this, but as the audio was playing, I checked the comments. First of all, uh, thank you to the several listeners, Queems, Hyperdose. Jeff Moore and others who've told me that Riz is the new uh, word that kids these days are using for charisma. I did not know that, and now I'm learning. See, I'm learning alongside everybody else on this show. Riz is short for charisma. Did not know that. Okay. Uh, so Riz GPT is is using GPT for charisma. Um, another... Who said it? Oh, uh, listener Sam says, say goodbye to awkward dates. Ha, say goodbye to dates, period. Yes, good point. And Ultra Domino says, Cyrano de Robot. That's what they should have called it. Cyrano de Robot. That's excellent. Although that would, um, that would require kids these days to know who Cyrano de Bergerac was. Uh, but let's talk precedent for a second, okay? Even, even though we know this is unlikely to be rolled out immediately and in its present form, uh, it's not going to work for dates. It probably wouldn't work very far in job interviews. But just play, again, just play with the idea plus five years or plus 10 years because, as I say, uh, surveillance glasses are on their way. Facebook is, has already deployed theirs. Um, Google has failed. It finally killed off Google Glass recently. Uh, so m maybe maybe they are working on another version of surveillance glasses. I don't know. But the big one, the big one that uh, a, a lot of people are waiting on is Apple. Apple has been making uh, coy little hints that it's got surveillance glasses uh, in the pipeline. And it's not clear if they're going to be super expensive, like only for really wealthy hobbyists, or if they're going to try to get one uh, for the broader market to launch. And when is it going to launch? It could, something from Apple could launch as early as June, although there was recent news that there is dissent within the executive ranks about why are we doing this and should this even launch. So it's not, it's not clear when or if Apple is going to launch. But if they do, if there's any company that can take... <clears throat> a god-awful surveillance product and sell it to the American public, it's Apple. That's the, that's the one company that has the ability to normalize horrible surveillance practices. I mean, these, these AirTags, uh, just, uh, just as a side note, the AirTags, I mean, it, it's a stalker's best friend, these little wireless things that allow them to track the location of whoever is walking around with it. As soon as they launch those, uh, privacy ad advocates said, do not launch these. P vulnerable women and, and other users are going to be tracked. They're going to be stalked because of these tiny, hard-to-detect surveillance items. That their, their only function is to alert the owner of the AirTag where it is. So if you're a stalker and you buy, buy a handful of these and you slip them in purses or in, into cars or wherever the stalkers put these, 
to track their, uh, the person they're stalking, uh, the, the AirTag faithfully gives them whatever location as the person drives home or walks home. Um, and so they said, you know, this is, this is a terrible idea. And Apple's response was, well, it's going to help everybody find their keys. You, <laughs> you don't understand. I mean, maybe some people get stalked, but have you ever lost your keys? I mean, do you know how irritating that is? And we have technology now in this grand, shining future that we, that we inhabit that we can have little devices that will help you find your keys. You just need to put this on your keys and, um, and only you, we promise, only you have access to that location data. And uh, of course, they, they launched and all of a sudden there were complaints all over the world of people being stalked and other vulnerable people um, f facing really negative outcomes because of these tiny, tiny miniature surveillance devices. Uh, and Apple said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna rev it and come out with with an update, and that'll solve everything." Go back to my interview just last week with Meredith Broussard when we're talking about technology that cannot be fixed in one update because there's no code fix that can fix something that is systemically wrong, like these surveillance devices. Anyway, this is all to say. A lot is riding on a, a lot of our uh, the the future of privacy in public is riding on whether Apple develops and launches their own surveillance glasses because as yet Google has failed, Facebook has failed, and Snap has failed. But uh, these companies they really want something to take the place of the smartphone because the smartphone market is kind of tapped out. So let's go, let's, let's assume Apple launches this, all right? And they normalize, just in the same way that they normalize their little stalker tags, they normalize the use of surveillance glasses in public. So everyone's walking around recording audio and video of everyone else, everyone within uh, earshot of the camera, within eyesight of the, uh, within line of sight of the of the surveillance camera, and uploading it into the cloud, which, which uh, could never be uh, used or hacked or or leaked or repurposed or packaged or rendered or sold, uh, which of, co of course is inevitable that all that is going to happen almost immediately. So we have these surveillance glasses, and if this AI frenzy continues, as it looks like it probably will then people are going to want the, uh, the, the latest and greatest chatbot to be weighing in as they walk around. And it might not just be uh, questions and answers and job interviews or, or de Bergerac-style uh, help during dates. Um, I mean, it could be anything. It could be the glasses may run a facial rec algorithm and project the name of everyone you see as you walk around. And Apple will say, well, this is great. Have you ever forgotten someone's name five seconds after they told you? Have you ever run into an old acquaintance or an old coworker have, and you can't remember their name? Uh, are you ever in a meeting and you're, you're meeting with an important client and right in the middle of the meeting, you forget the client's name? Has that ever happened to you? Well, it's not going to happen anymore with the new Apple whatever's uh, eye surveillance glasses. Uh, because we are going to have a chatbot that is going to um, run, it's going to have access to this global facial recognition database. And uh, don't worry, it's all, it's all private. We're, we're, we're privacy first. We're, we're privacy forward here at Apple. But we are going to be drawing on facial recognition of everyone on Earth and, and placing their name over their head. Um, you could also easily see a point where we get to people having conversations T together, this is the fun part, when I'm wearing surveillance glasses and you're wearing surveillance glasses and we're each wanting to avoid that horrible, um, awkward human situation called normal conversation and we're each reading off the chatbot responses to each other. Won't that be a great, great civil society where we're all walking around, hello, how are you? I am doing fine. Are you doing fine? Yes. I see the weather yesterday was 15% colder than the normal average at this time of year. Yes, I understand, you know, and it goes on like this. But at least there are no more awkward conversations. The, the, the point I'm trying to make with these surveillance glasses is when you see little, as they would call them, advances, or little hacks or little launches, 
don't just look at what it is today because they'll always tell you, oh, we're not sharing the data today. Um, we're not doing anything horrible today, so you don't have anything to worry about. Don't stop there. Take it five years or 10 years forward and think, what are the trends today and what are we, what are we normalizing today that is going to pave the way for much, much worse technologies in the future. That's the exercise that we should go through when we see these new things. So while I applaud Brian Chong and Varun Shinoy for their cleverness and their, uh, their, their appetite for innovation, um, I am still concerned about what this reveals about where we're headed if and when surveillance glasses become a norm, as Apple certainly does want them to. All right, that's the surveillance glasses. Let's move on. Let's move on. Number two, the second technology that I mentioned in my show title is Tesla cars. Now, Tesla cars are very popular. They're very popular uh, EVs. I know there are other EVs on the market, but there's a certain um, slice of of car buyers both he, here in the U.S. and abroad who um, want to be seen in a Tesla. F fine if that's you, that's fine. But I hope everybody understands whether you have a, a Tesla or not, whether you drive a Tesla or you're simply on the street around a Tesla, you should know, and a lot of people don't know this, that Tesla cars are all outfitted with surveillance cameras. And those things are recording all the time. In fact, a few years ago, Tesla claims it doesn't do this anymore. But a few years ago, Tesla, the, the cameras on a Tesla could still be activated even when the car was off. So the cars in the garage turned off. The camera is still recording. Someone says, no, the cameras, the camera can't be recording. The car is off. Don't you understand? These cameras can be activated even when they look like nothing is going on. This is a conversation I've had in my personal life recently, I just yesterday. That camera can't be recording it. Uh, look, there's nothing on the screen. Don't you understand? Surveillance cameras can be on at any time, and we don't know. We don't, but the red light isn't on. You don't know. And as I say, Tesla cars have surveillance cameras. They claim that when the Tesla is turned off, the camera is turned off. Maybe they're telling the truth. But even if they're telling the truth, when Teslas are, are running around in traffic, which is usually the time when you see them, uh, there's a camera. They're watching you. You are being watched by every Tesla that passes you. And uh, I don't mean to pick on Tesla because every other major car manufacturer is trying to get on this surveillance capitalist gravy train as soon as possible. So soon enough, it'll be every recent model car will be watching you. But so far, right now, we can talk about Tesla cars. And this made the news recently, uh, just on April 6th, Reuters published a, a special report called Tesla Workers Shared Sensitive Images Recorded by Customer Cars. Now, if you went back 20 years in the past, can you imagine a headline saying that, that uh, there's a report out that sensitive images have been recorded by cars? What? What are, you, what are you talking about? But no, no, in the 2020s, everything has to have a surveillance device attached, everything and cars especially, because cars are just rolling surveillance cameras at this point. Uh, so Tesla workers shared sensitive images. Okay, so between 2019 and 2022, groups of Tesla employees privately shared via an internal messaging system, sometimes highly invasive videos and images recorded by customers' car cameras according to interviews by Reuters with nine former employees. So good on these former employees for coming forward, talking to the Reuters journalists and saying, hey, not everything is going great within Tesla because we have people within Tesla who have access to the surveillance camera footage of customers' cars. And they see all kinds of stuff. Not only do they see it, but these employees, if they get a thrill from seeing it, they will share it with each other. There's one example in this Reuters story of, of a video of a Tesla car striking a child on a bike. And the employees shared this. No wonder these nine former employees wanted to come forward. 
This is, this is really messed up. This is really messed up stuff. So we have, a few, we have a few layers. I mean, first of all, cars are running around with surveillance cameras activated, watching everything. And, and you, by the way, why, why do they need it? Because they need the footage to train their AI engine to tr fi finally someday maybe get to self-driving status, which is it's, it's light years away these days. Uh, and that's a whole other story about the, the really the, the uh, I don't know if we can officially call it a fraud, but the, the, um, the despicable claims that Elon Musk has made over the years that Tesla uh, offers full self-driving. Uh, which it absolutely does not. And a lot of people have, have gotten hurt because of those claims. But anyway, that's why the Tesla needs this video image, uh, video data, is so that they can feed it into their AI engine. So um, the, the, the cameras being on all the time give employees access to everything that the car sees. And when it sees something spectacular, the, there are, this is the second disturbing point, that there are people within Tesla who say, Oh my gosh, look at this. I'm going to send this to my, my bro buddy down the hall. But we've seen this before. Again, not to pick on Tesla. We saw this um, when it came out that the Alexa surveillance devices were actually sharing audio uh, with contractors who were then passing, passing around different bits of intimate audio that they heard from customers' homes. Google devices, even Apple devices. Yes, these things, these surveillance devices, when there are surveillance devices in your home, in your car, on your street, in public, they are taking audio and video of you of every moment. And if there is something that happens or something they see or hear that you don't want shared, tough. Because the goal, the, the single job of a surveillance device, like a camera or, or, or a microphone, is to share their data. Do you understand that? That's the whole idea of a surveillance device. They don't simply take the data in and hold it so that only the good guys can look at it and then it gets deleted. No, immediately they want to share it. And inevitably it goes to employees and or contractors. And in Tesla's case, there were not just employees. There are contractors involved as always. Uh, Reuters continues, since about 2016, Tesla has employed hundreds of people in Africa and later the United States to label images to help its cars learn how to recognize pedestrians, street signs, construction vehicles, garage doors, and other objects encountered on the road or at customers' houses. To accomplish that, data labelers, these are human beings whose job is to just label and label and label images. Data labelers were given access to thousands of videos or images recorded by car cameras that they would then view and identify objects. I think there was another story about the workers in Africa who were being paid almost nothing to do the data labeling. Uh, go back and listen to my interview a couple years ago with Sarah T. Roberts about the, uh, the global contractors who do the data labeling and in some cases the social media moderation for pennies and they're really exploited workers. Uh, who do this, all in service of building an AI engine that currently does not work and has already harmed people, and so that employees on their internal network can share the videos and images of the most uh, invasive, intrusive, intimate, and, and, and awful things that have happened to customers on, in, and around Tesla cars. Uh, it's, it's just, it's so disappointing and so predictable at the same time. I mean, it's just awful to hear this. And if you've been around this show long enough, you go, of course it's been happening because we've heard about so many other companies where there have been data streams that have, that should never have been opened up in the first place being passed around by employees. And thank goodness there are some whistleblowers within Tesla who, who came forward to say this, but really shame on the uh, 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 where do you start? Shame on Elon Musk, on the Tesla executives who put in these, these data flows that are really unnecessary surveillance. Shame on the employees for, uh, for sharing these images that they knew was wrong. Shame on the executives who are paying the data labelers nothing out in, in, in Africa and other places. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is just so seedy and gross. Um, that's a good reason in my book not to drive a Tesla. I mean, it's just so gross. But then again, 
every other major car company is trying to get on the surveillance game as fast as they can. All right, that's two. Here's, let's go to number three. And this is one I did not mention in the show title, but I remember um, Link NYC. Link, I've done one or two and plus the, the, uh, the return of Link NYC called Link 5G. I did a show on that. I've done probably two or three shows on this over the years. If you're not from New York or a city that has these things, New York has, if you walk down any avenue in New York City, just about, almost every block, sometimes twice a block, and once in a blue moon, maybe three times a block, you're going to pass this eight or nine foot high surveillance tower. It's got screens on either side, and it has three hidden cameras. Uh, they don't call them out, but there are three surveillance cameras that are taking video of video and images of pedestrians as they go by, and there are a dozen or two dozen more sensors packed into the uh, into the guts of this thing that we've never gotten clarity on what these surveillance devices are, what the sensors are. I know there's a Wi-Fi sniffer that's trying to identify people as they walk by because it reaches out and and detects what what smartphone exactly which smartphone. Uh, it is that you're carrying, and it can identify you from that. Uh, the, the twist here, and it's not mentioned anywhere on the devices, they just say, Link NYC. What they don't tell you is that they are a Google project. And Google would say, no, 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 it's one of our subsidiaries. It's part of a consortium. Yes, a consortium of a $2 trillion company and a bunch of tiny little guppies. Yeah, I think I know who runs Link NYC. It's Google. And Link NYC has been a financial failure for the city. Incredible disappointment and totally predictable, just like the Tesla cars. And so rather than shutting down the surveillance program that has brought about unnecessary surveillance on all New York citizens and visitors, tourists, everybody, kids, all under surveillance by Google as they walk down the avenues, uh, instead of shutting it down as they should have, uh, New York re-upped their investment and now there's something called link 5g 32 foot high surveillance towers and i did a whole show on this go find it in the archives you can i'm not going to get into the details but the idea was link 5g uh don't worry it's not for surveillance uh it's in and i have a clip in that show of uh new york city mayor eric adams saying quote it's not for surveillance uh it's it's simply to provide wi-fi in neighborhoods that are underserved by internet access, which, I, I, frankly, I don't even know how many neighborhoods there are in New York City that don't have internet access. I'm sure there are some pockets, and uh, you could maybe make a case that there is some other way of providing Wi-Fi that would be good. It would be helpful for the city to provide Wi-Fi for free to the citizens. I'm not opposed to that. But these 32-foot-high towers that are, again, run by Google, it's not said anywhere in the documentation except that the consortium is the same consortium that runs Lincoln YC, 32-foot high towers. And they said, don't worry, it's only to provide Wi-Fi to underserved neighborhoods. That's the key here, okay? So they started in the South Bronx, which is, if you're not from New York, that's, that's, a, that's an, an, a generally impoverished area of New York City. This is where we're going to, they said, the mayor said, this is where we're going to find uh, pockets of no Wi-Fi access. So we need these 32-foot high towers right on the street in front of these buildings, maybe eight feet from a room where a baby is sleeping. But I'm sure there's nothing going on in those towers that would uh, compromise people's long-term health. Oh, no, 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 no. So... We have these 32-foot high towers launching in the South Bronx. The city says it's just for internet deserts, only for uh, pockets of no Wi-Fi, okay? A few days ago, I was walking through the East Village. Now, again, if you don't know New York City, East Village, maybe years and years ago, is this bohemian place of the poets and the bards and uh, the coffee shops. It is completely gentrified, almost complete, not totally, but it's almost completely gentrified. Go back and listen to my interview with Jeremiah Moss talking about his book, Vanishing New York, a few years ago. That was a great conversation. And he really writes uh, very, very strongly his feelings about the gentrification, the hyper gentrification of the East Village and other neighborhoods. East Village is where Jeremiah lives. So I'm walking through the East Village and I noticed 
that there was a brand new building. I mean, you can tell it must have gone up in the last five years. Brand new. Brand new building in the hyper-gentrified East Village. And you'll never guess what is standing right in front of the building. It is indeed a 32-foot-high Link 5G surveillance tower from Google. And you're going to tell me, you're going to tell me now that, Mr. Mayor, that the East Village, this hypergentrified area, is one of the uh, most underserved neighborhoods in New York for Internet access, right? <laughs> right. Because, as you said, this tower has nothing whatsoever to do about surveillance, which is why you need a 32-foot-high tower in front of a building that I'm sure has excellent Wi-Fi through, throughout every overpriced condo unit. So here, and, and I, have a, I have my photo. I took this photo that's on the playlist. You can find it. Go to WFMU.org, click Playlist and Comments. And you can see, for scale, there's someone, uh, there's two people, two or three people walking by, and they look like ants in relation to this tower, this surveillance tower run by Google. It's watching you. The Tesla cars are watching you. The smart glasses, the surveillance glasses, when they launch, will be watching you. Now let's go to one more. In the last 15 minutes, if you're just tuning in, by the way, you're listening to Tectonic on WFMU. My name is Mark Hurst. Um, we're, going, we're, we're going over news of technology that is watching you. And again, uh, some of these are disturbing, like the Tesla story is disturbing, the 32-foot-high uh, Google surveillance tower uh, that was launched under, I believe, false pretenses is uh, disturbing. But not every, not every single new technology is disturbing, but you have to look at it in terms of the precedent that it sets and especially what the world looks like in five or ten years when this thing has been totally normalized and built out and built out and built out until the surveillance capitalists have their way. And now we get to New York City's latest launch. This did get a little bit of attention, and here I'm, I'm uh, amplifying it a bit. Uh, New York City, under our previous mayor, Bill de Blasio, brought out these Boston Dynamics robot dogs. I think they, the product name is Spot, um, but they're robot dogs that look almost exactly like that Metalhead episode of Black Mirror. Did you see that? If you didn't see it, by the way, go to the playlist. There's an image from Black, Mi uh, Black Mirror, the Metalhead episode, and it shows these robot dogs that are armed with uh, a gun and a surveillance camera, and they're able to walk around with a gun, identify targets, and, uh, and, and attack them. And that's, that's the idea of this whole Metalhead episode. And it was, it, that Black Mirror episode came out, I think that was the fourth season, so came out a few years ago, and people said, oh, what a dystopia. Imagine a world that had uh, robots, robot dogs walking around. What if they were tipped with weapons? How would we defend ourselves? These things can run, they can climb, they can do whatever. And around this time, when people had good awareness of these risks, Bill de Blasio, in his... Uh, frequent infinite wisdom, decided to uh, surprise New Yorkers. I've bought robot dogs for the New York Police Department, the New York City Police. The NYPD now has one or two robot dogs. And everybody said, nope, nope, send it back. Get a refund if you can. We don't want robot dogs in New York City. Nope. That's a hard pass, Bill. We do not want metalhead Black Mirror in New York City. We're already up to our elbows in Google surveillance towers. Why do you got to bring in Black Mirror on top of that? And, and to Bill de Blasio's credit, under that unrelenting pressure from citizens, I mean, privacy activists and everybody else said, no. Uh, he said, well, and back went the robot dogs. Now we have a new mayor. His name is Eric Adams. Mayor Eric Adams, who is a self-professed computer geek, he loves technology. He says he's scouring the world for new technology to, uh, to keep New Yorkers safe. And so what's a computer geek mayor to do when, you want, when you're scouring the world for new technology? You need the newest, the shiniest. What's the thing that you do? I'll tell you what you do. You pay $750,000 for two robot dogs, for two robot surveillance dogs. And you give them a, such a cute little name. He calls them Digi Dogs. 
And the digi dogs, as he calls them, were paraded in front of journalists uh, a few days ago. And I have a link to, and I'm sorry this is on Toxic YouTube, there's a video of the press conference from April 11 in which Eric Adams officially launch, launched the digi dogs and two other uh, bits of surveillance gear, this, this night scope robot uh, that they're calling K5 is this 800-pound thing that looks like a uh, what, what was the Dalek from? I mean, it, the, the it looks immediately like a dystopian robot that you, you I mean, if you were playing a video game, it, you would that would be your adversary that you're trying to destroy. It, there's nothing friendly or comforting about this thing. It's going to be rolling around Times Square. Get off of the roadway. You are trespassing. Get off. You know, it's going to be barking instructions at people and um, who, doing who knows what else, surveilling people. And uh, but, but look, we're going to look high tech. So New York is going to look great. They also have this thing, and I have a link to a, an article in Jalopnik called the NYPD, the New York Police Department, can now shoot GPS trackers at your car. So they have this gun that can shoot a GPS tracker that has some sticky material attached. It goes onto your car, and then wherever you drive from, from then on, they can track you exactly. It's kind of like a flying Apple AirTag, except finally people have acknowledged these things are for stalking. They're for tracking. Um, there's no mention of the NYPD's flying GPS tracker being used to find your keys. At least they're being honest about what they're going to use it for. But this, this announcement on what was it, April 11, the press conference was all about surveillance. It was all about surveillance gear, except that the mayor is never going to say that it's surveillance. It's all about keeping people safe. I just don't understand. $750,000 for two robot surveillance dogs. What else could $750,000 have bought us? Could it, could it have bought us anything else to generate a more human connection between the police and the communities that they're supposed to be serving. Is there any other way to budget our dollars in this city than to buy stupid surveillance gear straight out of black? I mean, literally looks like a Black Mirror episode. I don't mean kind of. I mean, it looks just like Metalhead and Black Mirror. And so the, the mayor at this, press, at this press conference was asked, hey, uh, what's the deal with these robot dogs? And uh, I'm going to play you an excerpt of this press conference. And, and Adams basically says, well, um, the, the, the deal is we're showing it to you and, and we're going to hear from communities what they think. And then the person asks, and I cut it out because the audio was bad, but they asked as a follow-up question, well, what if a community said no? I mean, obviously referring back to a few years ago when every community said no to de Blasio's stupid robot dogs. And Adams, you're going to hear what he says to that follow-up question. What if a community says no? So here again, this is Mayor Eric Adams on April 11 in his uh, grand announcement of surveillance gear for the NYPD. Well, uh, first, this is New York, 8.5 million people, 35 million opinions. So no matter what you do, there are going to be pros and cons. We are doing what others didn't do. We're putting it right here in Times Square. We're allowing people to come in and look at a DigiDog and K5 and others. And we're going to bring in community leaders and say, here's the technology that we have. Would you like this in your community? Allow them to talk about it, hear about it, share their, their ideas. And then in those situations where you can't have uh, police officers going inside because it's dangerous, this DigiDog uh, actually de-escalate situations. So this is a great way to use technology. If you have a barricaded suspect, you have someone that's inside a building um, that is armed, instead of sending police officers in there, you send DigiDog inside there. So these are smart ways of using good technologies, but we are rolling it out and giving people the information they need. No, DigiDog is out of the pound. DigiDog is now part of the toolkit that we are using. And trust me when I tell you this, if a person has a loved one that is in a hostage situation, they want a DigiDog, a real dog, and anything else they can get to keep their family members safe. We are leaving no stone unturned to protect New Yorkers. 
Okay, so that was Mayor Eric Adams, New York City Mayor Eric Adams, talking about his new surveillance gear, what he calls the digi-dogs. And for the question of what if someone said, what if a community actually said no, you said you're going to show it to the communities. What if they say no? He said, well, imagine if you have a loved one in a hostage situation and we send in a robo-dog, won't that be great? I mean, it just, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. It's a totally incoherent response. And I guess that's the best response at this point because there is no excuse to use dollars for unnecessary surveillance gear. I mean, people are being surveilled unnecessarily. um, And we're setting, again, let's go back to the initial premise that I stated at the top of the show. What about the precedent in five years? What happens when these things are tipped with weapons? And and what's going to happen is if these robot dogs are normalized soon enough, in some future administration, they'll say, well, the citizens are used to the robot dogs walking around. They're used to the, I, I think they're 400 pounds, maybe these night scope things running around uh, the sidewalks and telling them what to do. They're, they're used to the surveillance gear. So why don't we go ahead and take the, the next logical step, tip these things with weapons, put a rifle on each one. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't everybody just calm down. Don't worry. We're not going to shoot the wrong person. We're using facial recognition algorithms. Okay. And those have a pretty, pretty good uh, accuracy rate. And anyway, look how shiny it is. Did you see the, this is for you listeners. Did you see the videos of those robot dogs dancing? They've made a bunch of those over the years. Did you ever think to yourself, why are they spending so much time, energy, and money making these robot dogs dance, doing these little silly uh, spectacles of dancing along to popular uh, pop hits. Why? I, I, I think you should be able to figure it out, and you probably already have. They're doing it to normalize the robot dogs. Because when you see the mayor standing by the robot dog, a lot of people say, oh, wait, that's the one I saw. That's the one I saw on YouTube. It was dancing. It was dancing to whatever that pop hit was. It has really good moves. And then they say, well, if you like how it dances, you're going to love how it dances with a gun on its head. <laughs> Welcome to the future, friends. Um, so let me read you something. This, this, this precedent is, is not new. This complaint is not new. I want to read you something. This is from Jacques Ellul, one of my favorite technology critics. This is from a, a great book called The Technological Society. Ellul was a... Uh, he was a French technology critic. He was actually a Catholic theologian as well. He wrote uh, theology books uh, on the one hand, but on the other hand, he's writing these secular technology criticisms. And the Technological Society, obviously, was, was the latter. He wrote it in 1954, translated into English in 1964. Uh, I read this years ago, and I, I went back to it recently, and here's what I found from page 100. Here it is. The techniques of the police... This is, again, this is from 1954. The techniques of the police, sorry, one other thing. When he says technique, he means technology. So you can all say the technologies of the police, which are developing at an extremely rapid tempo, have as their necessary end the transformation of the entire nation into a concentration camp. This is no perverse decision on the part of some party or government to be sure of apprehending criminals it is necessary that everyone be supervised, by which he means surveilled. It is necessary to know exactly what every citizen is up to, to know his relations, his amusements, etc. Every citizen must be thoroughly known to the police and must live under conditions of discreet surveillance. All this results from the perfection of technical methods, that is to say, the perfection of technology. And here we have the New York City mayor and the police department reaching for what they consider to be a perfection of their police methods by bringing in two robot dogs. And if you want to know how perfect it is, read the story that I put on the playlist uh, from Gothamist on April 18. There was a parking garage collapse, and it was very bad and sad. There was one person who died, and two or three others who were, who were gravely injured. And in the rubble of the parking garage, the fire department showed up, doing a good job. That's great. Uh, but the fire department also has a couple of these robo-dogs, and they decided, or someone decided, I don't know if it's an FDNY decision, someone decided the robo-dogs need a little PR bump. And so they sent in the robo-dog into the collapsed parking garage, into the rubble. 
and click click through that link onto uh, the Futurism article on April 21. And uh, what happened was the robo dog took two steps into the rubble and then fell over, and it lay down and it was pr- pretty much dead because I guess they can't rewrite themselves once they fall over. And you can see a video of it. I mean, the robo dog goes bump bump bump, down it went, and so. <laughs> Where we are right now is not a perfection of the methods. But again, that's not to say that these things don't work or can't work or won't work in the future. We have to look at the precedent we're setting. We're normalizing the use of invasive, intrusive surveillance that could be uh, armed with deadly weapons in upcoming years. And since there is no real outcry at this point from the citizens of New York, it's a free and open field for Boston Dynamics and other vendors to come in and try to sell the next version and the next version until, as Jacques Ellul wrote, we begin to live in something that resembles a concentration camp. Again, not because they're trying to be mean or creepy, but because in order to use this method of finding the bad guys, they have to surveil all of us all of the time so that they can find the occasional bad guy. But, but the, the only way to build this out to find the bad guys, if you're going to use technology, is to surveil all of us. Whereas, of course, a, a, a more humane, a more ethical, a more uh, cost-effective, a more common-sense method might be to work on the human relations in the city between the police and the citizens. Work on the human relations so that police on the beat respect the citizens and vice versa so they have better human relationships rather than always always looking to surveillance technology to solve our problems one last one last example really quick as a bonus dave the spaz wfmu's dj who hosts a great show on thursday nights 9 p.m to 12 midnight eastern time sent me today an example of another bit of surveillance gear he went he needed a bathroom scale Dave went to Walgreens and bought a bathroom scale. Came back, it has a digital display, not a problem. Dave plugs it in, and he, he told me, he, he said it was okay for me to share the story. Um, turns it on, stands on the scale. The scale gives him his weight, but it's in kilograms. Now, I know, I know those of you in, in non-U.S. countries say, of course, this metric is better. Good, good for you, good. I'm not going to disagree, but here in the U.S., for better or for worse, we use pounds. And Dave wanted, as I would want, pounds. And so he looked in the manual, and it said, in order to change your scale from kilograms to pounds, you need to download our app. Go to the Apple Store or the Google Play Store and get our favorite surveillance app so we can surveil you to every last inch of your lives. Excuse me, every last, last centimeter of your lives. They didn't actually say that, but you know, when you get some janky Walgreens bathroom scale app on your phone just to turn it into pounds, you know it has all kinds of hooks in your phone that you don't want, especially if you're using an Android malware phone. So as, as Dave said, what's next? If we can't have bathroom scales anymore without surveillance built in, what's next? Thermometers? You have to download our app and then we'll tell you if you have a fever or not. Uh, what's next? You know, pens and pencils? The, the ink is not going to flow until you download our value-added app so we can surveil everything that you're writing. I mean, every last little bit of our normal lives has to turn into surveillance gear in order for some giant company to make a tiny bit more profit margin at our expense. This is not a society that is on a healthy trajectory with its technology. Jacques Ellul was right. He was right to warn us. And that was almost 70 years ago. And did we listen? No. But we do have a chance if enough of us start to speak up, try to vote in people who actually think straight about technology and start abolishing some of this awful, awful surveillance gear so that we are not always being watched by the corporations and the state. And that's all the time I have for this evening. You've been listening to the greatest radio station in the world, WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope in New York City and Rockland County at 91.9 FM and online at WFMU.org. Until next time, friends, avoid Apple, abandon Amazon, forget Facebook, and whatever you do, get off Google. And I want you to stay tuned because the great Dave Mandel is on with It's Complicated. And I have a little announcement, a little surprise for you. 
Dave Mandel is going to be my guest next week. We're going to have a great time. In the meantime, I want you to listen to a little bit of this track called Social Engineering by Jan Jelinek that was suggested by Brother Daniel Blumen. Thank you again. And Brother Daniel Blumen is on starting at 9 p.m. Eastern this evening. Have a great week, everybody. Permit me to inform you of my desire. 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 He was your countryman and had something in common with you. He was your countryman and had something in common with you. He was your countryman and had something in common with you. He was your countryman and had something in common with you. And that sweet sound means it's time for another episode of It's Complicated, one hour of Prague and Prague-adjacent music. I'm your host, Dave Mandel. I'm here every Monday between the hours of 7 and 8 with this program. Welcome. Thrilled to see you all. I can see you. I actually, I actually can. We're going to begin tonight's show with two tracks... This happened by pure chance, but it turns out I have two groups I want to play who recorded for the label uh, Cuneiform. (laughs) Where am I? Who am I? How am I? Cuneiform, which is a Maryland-based label that releases a lot of proggy stuff. I don't want to pigeonhole them. Really, really excellent label. You should check out if you don't know it. 
And so I'm going to play two groups that have uh, recorded lots of music for that label, Cuneiform. First is going to be a group called PFS, and they hail from San Francisco, California. We're going to hear a track from an album called Illustrative Problems from 1986. going to follow that with something that was here a minute ago from a Canadian group called Myriador, who have lots of releases on the Cuneiform label. They've been around since uh, at least the 90s, maybe earlier, maybe the 80s. They've been around quite a while. They have lots of uh, many releases, some of which I should mention are available on Bandcamp. Cuneiform has a has a Bandcamp page, and they have um, several Myriador releases there, as well as lots of other stuff. So we're going to hear something again from PFS, followed by a track from Myriador. They're they're a French Canadian group from Quebec City, Canada, and I think we're all ready to go. Here we go. Space Age, the age of reliability. 